Welcome back to Flex Your Head, another special episode of Screen Therapy. On Flex Your Head, we take a breather from punk rock and mental health and explore classic punk albums, which I guess is good for mental health. This episode, we're joined once again by Drew. You're back. I am back. Uh, this is a four-peat now, I think. I think this Something is the like fourth that. time. Yeah, happy to have you once again. So what are we talking about on this episode? Oh my god, I almost peed my pants when you suggested this one. We are talking about Jawbreaker's 24-hour revenge therapy. All right, so Jawbreaker's 24-Hour Revenge Therapy came out in February of 94, and it's the band's third album. The band, of course, being Blake Schwarzenbach on vocals and guitar, bassist Chris Bauermeister, and drummer Adam Failer. These guys formed in 86 when they were students in New York, and they later relocated to Los Angeles, where they released their debut album, and they went to San Francisco to release their second album, and that's when this amazing album all kind of came to be. Let's get into it. What are your open thoughts on probably one of the best punk melodic hardcore albums of all time? Yeah, I mean, and we're skipping over the E word of probably the beginning of modern emo. I love this album. I can't wait to dig into it because it is one of my favorite albums. It is such an easy album to sing along to. Yeah, just so many layers to it. All right, well, let's get into it then. So just some background here. One of the big things that I think contributes to the album is it was recorded in Chicago with Steve Albini, who's a legendary producer. I don't need to list off the albums or bands he's produced because we all know. And then the band had come off of a tour before they recorded this. And on the tour, Blake, the singer and guitarist, actually had to have a surgery to remove some polyps on his throat, on his vocal cords. When he came back from Bivouac, which is the album before this one we're talking about, his voice had changed. I don't see it as much as other folks maybe see it. Uh, there was some talk about it being like two octaves higher or whatever. I don't really see that, but there was a shift in the sound. There was also a shift in the sound with 24-Hour Revenge Therapy, where I think things got a bit more melodic, but also dark at the same time. Yeah. Bivouac was more of like a you know heavy kind of, there was definitely like a, a consistency to it. Whereas I think with this album... 24-Hour Revenge Therapy, there's just so much to talk about, so many different layers. You've got everything from completely destroyed relationships, <laughs> songs about parties with friends, yeah, you know, songs about having his vocal cords, the surgery he had and the thoughts he was having as he was losing consciousness. So lyrically, there's a lot going on, but also musically, there's also a lot going on. So let's dig into that a little bit. Yeah, he had, uh, Blake, he was working as, as a librarian and he'd lifted some tapes of Kerouac, basically audiobooks from the library. And he was listening to Kerouac a lot just before this album. You can see it in his cadence. His cadence totally changes the way he sings in this album. That's probably one of the biggest things. You can kind of see it on in Bivouac on something like Chesterfield Kin. Yeah. Definitely telling a story. But this one, it, like he goes straight into that storytelling. Yeah, and he definitely developed as a writer as well because I'm thinking of their later stuff and how 
many different turns of phrase, even with the Jets to Brazil stuff, which came after Jawbreaker. We're getting way ahead of ourselves here, but that's okay. <laughs> totally. His turns of phrase and the way he writes his songs definitely progressed. And this was, to me, kind of the just that cusp of him getting to that point where he was just this person that really changed the way that melodic punk and hardcore music was written and was constructed. 100%. He's a Paul Westenberg-style character of uh, storytelling um, in the sense that he's looking at the modern-day things and painting them quite beautifully. It's interesting that you say Westenberg because I've got a quote here from Andy Greenwald, who is a music journalist. He said that the album is the best example of Schwarzenbach's innate ability to marry the boozy, bluesy regretfulness of the replacements with the loose, seat-of-the-pants attitude of the Gilman Street punk. So. Mm-hmm. How killer is the the kickoff song of Boat on a Hill? Yeah, yeah. So sad. It actually gives me chills just to think that you're just driving down the road and you see this boat up on a hill and you write this whole song about never being fully yourself because you're a boat that's nowhere near the water. And then halfway through it, he switches over to being an old man trying to finish this boat on a hill. We can definitely get into the lyrics in a bit here, but yeah. one of the things that really strikes me about that song, and actually in some ways a lot of the faster, or I want to say yeah. jolly songs, let's call them jolly songs, yeah, uh, yeah. kind of like locomotive style, kind of fast, frantic songs, mm-hmm. is that the music almost has this like let's catch up to each other sort of quality to it. I really find that Adam's drumming on that song and a couple other ones on the album. It's almost like he's trying to catch up. They're going along and all of a sudden like, oh shit, I'm behind. You know, like it's yeah. these, these yeah, yeah. wild fills. Out of all the songs on the album, that one just comes out the gates as this frantic, rollicking song. And But then, you know, the whole album goes all over the place. We can't yeah. get to all of it, but it's just, there's so many different tempos and yeah. textures to the songs. Yeah, the groundworks of all these other bands uh, and styles of music to come. Adam's a deceivingly great drummer. He seems really simple. He's straightforward, but he's often switching times and he'll jump up into double time for a chorus. He's just an incredibly solid drummer. I would say Chris and Adam are probably the strongest musicians, especially on this album. Blake's genius is is in his lyrics. The bass playing on this album as well. God, Chris is ridiculous. Every band that has a bass that's almost like a lead instrument Mm-hmm. No Means No, Shotmaker, even Spark Market to some degree, that really heavy... Jesus Lizard. The way that Adam and Chris play off of each other and lock into those breakdowns and stuff, whereas Blake is, he's doing what he does the best with yeah. the melodic side and with the lyrical side, but he's really allowed to have that space because the rhythm section is just so tight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's funny that Indictment, which is the second song, and then Boxcar, which is probably their most famous song, Mm-hmm. are back-to-back, song two and three. Yeah. But then they almost sound exactly the same. <laughs> I was thinking this while I was listening to it this morning. Indictment and Boxcar are almost the same beat in a <laughs> yeah. lot of ways. Like It's interesting that they did that because I think if it was me, I would try to bury one of those songs further in, into the mix, but it works. There is a quote from Kerrang, which is a UK music magazine, and Adam's talking about Boxcar and the way that those songs are quite similar. 
and he says, Blake jokes that there's just a couple of songs on this record with different words sprinkled on top of them, <laughs> and this is similar to an indictment. Yeah. This is getting a little bit ahead on the track listing, but for West Bay Invitational, I remember going to a party after a show that we played in the Mission District in Oakland. I could not get that song out of my head. <laughs> just hanging out, we're having a party, and then like walking around this party just with Jawbreaker in my head. And then I actually met Adam at that party. So, oh, nice. It'd be cool if you were just singing in the actual song. That would have been pretty rad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was in a hallway checking out gig posters of this house might have been either like there was a jawbreaker poster next to an unwound poster or that they had played together and then adam comes by he's like yeah that was a good show i was like oh you were there and he's like oh yeah no i was the drummer for jawbreaker what and then he just like <laughs> he pieced out because i think i fanboyed too much we got to talk about ashtray monument to me this is one of the best songs ever written every time yep. i hear it i've heard it thousands upon thousands of times i always get shivers sometimes i start crying it's just the best the best the best yeah yeah it goes really dark it's really kind of jumpy and fun-ish. And then all of a sudden it goes into this like breakdown with these bass chords and just haunting. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, where are we going with this? Now the bills are scattered in the yard. the heartbreak of a relationship that's falling into bits and pieces here's a bit of a bomb drop for you yeah i'm not sure if you're aware of this but i was reading blake was referring to his parents divorce talking about his own relationship as well but the last line in the song is were our kids all we could call common ground no right totally do you still hate me is very much about a relationship gone sour yeah yeah there's a lot of songs in there actually let's just get into some of the lyrics do you have any lines that really did it for you i've got a bunch as somebody who's not always the most punk looking person at a show or anything like that you look like a punk come on uh (laughs) yeah so i'll go to a hardcore show and always have the first lines of boxcar running through my head yeah you're not punk i'm telling everyone and then save your breath i never was one i just i've what a calling out of a scene because they weren't like anything else that, that was going off maybe crimpshine their scene probably would have been the closest thing that was doing that sort of sound j church maybe then i mean you have going a little off topic but what a scene oakland was at that point you have like rancid green day neurosis j church crimpshine jawbreaker i'm probably missing a few all playing shows together there's a lot in uh Condition Oakland. Got one here for you, actually. This yeah, is okay, one that far away. really got me. So at a Condition Oakland, the line, reaching to grab a hand that I just slapped back again. Mm, yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and read lyrics to the whole song, Do You Still Hate Me? Because why the heck not? Yeah. Such a great example of Blake's songwriting. Been hearing about you, all about your disapproval. 
Still, I remember the way I used to move you. I wrote you a letter. I heard it just upset you. Why don't you tell me? How can I do this better? Are you out there? Do you hear me? Can I call you? Do you still hate me? Are we talking? Are we fighting? Is it over? Are we writing? We're getting older, but we're acting younger. We should be smarter. It seems we're getting dumber. I have a picture of you and me in Brooklyn on a porch. It was raining. Hey, I remember that day. Hey, I miss you. Yeah. <laughs> could basically spend the whole episode talking about the lyrics because they're just so amazingly good. Over the last few days, I've been listening to this a lot, and his voice is so easy to sing along with because it's so it's more of just like a, a talk scream all the way through it. And he really articulates his words. There's no slurring of the words. You know what he's saying. Just makes it really easy just to sing along. I love you more than I ever loved. And I want to call. And I want to come. Someone said your name. I thought of you in love. I was just the same. Before we move on, I'm going to do one more here from mm-hmm. the West Bay Invitational song, just because we have to. All of the neighbors decided it's time to have all of our strangers over and make friends. Chris got a pony keg of loose charm. I had an accident. I hurt my arm. People from bands and labels, the good ones. Plenty of stunning children, East Bay. I want to talk about the drums and bass on the recording as well because Chris and Adam are so great. But, you know, Albini's sound is obviously all over this, but it is the band that ultimately makes it what it is. So thoughts on some of the the tones and sounds of it? It's Steve Albini. I mean, they were big fans of Jesus Lizard and, and Shellac. And... I read somewhere that when they went into the studio, the Jesus Lizard were also there in the house. Okay. And that one of the members of Jawbreaker was just too scared to talk to you, <laughs> David Sims. <laughs> I can't do this. He said hi quickly and then had to bolt off. <laughs> Hilarious how they credited Steve Albini on the record as Fluss, which is actually his cat. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if it was just in case it sucked or, or not. You mentioned you watched the documentary last yeah. night. What's the line in the movie about Steve Albini not remembering... The difference between Jawbreaker and Jawbox or something? or He couldn't remember when asked, and it's a little bit sly of him, but he keeps on being like, we're talking about Jawbreaker, right? Not Jawbox. <laughs> and he says it a few times with a bit of a smirk. Yeah. I mean, he had recorded both bands, same sort of time period. So The movie is called Don't Break Down, Story of Jawbreaker. Definitely worth the five, eight bucks, whatever it is, to, to rent it. Yeah. So in the production side, they weren't happy with the tempo of Boxcar. So when they went into the studio, Albini had just bought a new 24-track, which broke down while they were in the studio. They had three days to record, and one of those days were spent trying to fix the 24-track. So they kind of rushed through some stuff, went on the road, came back, listened to some mixes, and they're like, well, we don't like Boat, and they didn't like Boxcar. Yeah, and Condition Oakland, they ended up recording new wasn't part of the Albini sessions. Did you listen to the original versions of Boat and Boxcar? Yeah, yeah, it's weird, hey? Like Boat has that guitar solo at the beginning or guitar intro? <laughs> yeah, and that was one of the things he didn't like. He couldn't get the, his vocals weren't matching the guitar and he didn't like the solo at the beginning. You're more of a musician than I am, but 
Jawbreaker has this thing where they do this hanging pause that they have. Like a lot of times they'll be playing and all of a sudden there's this hanging pause where the song mm-hmm. just stops really quickly and then back into the song. Drum roll, stop, continue. You would inject that instead of a bridge. Instead of writing a, another riff, you kind of pause that. It also gives you just that moment of breath. It's something that I, I use a lot in my guitar writing. You say I'm more of a musician, but I write by ear. So I don't always think of writing a bridge, but I'll have a pause, just a beat pause in there. And it, it's a way to create a little anxiety and uh, get you into the next uh, section of the song. Yeah, and it's funny because I mentioned earlier about how they have this thing where it almost sounds like they're catching up to themselves. Mm -hmm. They pause, and then they start to roll again, stay ahead of themselves, pause again. When I'm listening to the album, I'm always like waiting for it and then back into it. It's awesome. They often would say that they sound like three people playing a different song. They were so worried about (laughs) leaving gaps and making the song weak that each three of them would play way over their their head. And this is actually the album where they stop, they pull that back just a little bit. They leave some breathing space in between the instruments uh, instead of like Adam doing like big 80s drum fills and like Rototom fills. He does do it on this album, but he might just do like a snare fill instead of really going over the top. And same with Chris. Chris doesn't do his big sweeping bass lines as much yeah listen to unfun which is their first album and it's all about just three people just frantically trying to play the same song and it's amazing i love that album as well but it's got this super urgency yeah it's actually quite anxiety inducing that album but in a good way i guess i have the cassette of this album it's actually a purple cassette which is rad oh cool and inside the liner notes they are credited as blake breaks strings and sings Chris, Antigua Bass, Blue Van, Red Meat, and Adam, <laughs> Miscellaneous. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Just so cryptic. I would always laugh because they had all these words that I never thought could be used the way they were. Like they used to say monumental all the time. Listen to one of the songs too. Or even on that little clip on Bivouac where they're broken down and Blake's like, it's heavy. Yeah. They talk about that in the in the documentary as well, about how their senses of humor are very unlike a lot of people in the punk scene are poking fun at a lot of the things going on. Yeah. They're quite a bit older than most of the, most of the scene. And also the only ones who all had finished college already. And they came from New York originally too. So that was a bit of a different. Absolutely. All right. Without further ado, it's time for some YouTube comments. Are you yeah, ready for absolutely. this? Okay. This gets really strange, but I always pick the strange ones. Okay, the first one's pretty uh, pretty out there. So this is by Andrew Kikos, Love All Today, and it was from one year ago. And he says, hi, Blake, want to go to lunch in 2023 sometime? <laughs> I'm not anchored by child support problems. Ha <laughs> ha, thanks. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The child support problems is a real like, red alarm here. <laughs> so take that for what it is. Uh, this is... <laughs> A fellow named David Michael, and he, well, you'll see. David Michael three years ago. Damn, dude, Outpatient just made me cry, because I remember this story. It's a literal true story. 
David Michael three years ago. One last ad, dude. Condition Oakland. I know the words by heart, but I don't care what you're saying. The whole package is just so fucking dope. The band, your voice, the whole thing is just so awesome. Gunshots and sirens, bro. Your voice is more of a guitar than a narrator. Oh, shit. And here comes the Kerouac sample with the twinkling piano. Fuck, I love this, dude. (laughs) David Michael, three years ago. (laughs) Okay, last one for real. This band could totally exist and destroy even without vocals. How can you do that with just three instruments? Luckily, Blake didn't lose his voice because his words are perfect for the grace of this outfit. And we never hear from David Michael again after that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes fandom has to uh, has to have an end. <laughs> exactly. Any final thoughts on twenty four hour revenge therapy? If you haven't listened to this album, a give yourself a slap and then go and buy this album. It is fantastic, uh, and I believe when this is going to be released, May fourth uh, ends up being Jawbreaker Day because of a song title on Dear You, the next album. Go and buy this album and uh, listen to it all day long on May 4th. This launches on May the 1st, so that gives you three days to listen. The song is called Sluttering May 4th, and uh, it became Jawbreaker Day. (laughs) My thought on the album, and I tried to put this into words just so I would remember, but I just feel like I listened to it so much over the years that it's just part of me now. Mm -hmm. I can't separate this album from myself. I can listen to it and know every single word, every single guitar line and bass and drum line. But I kind of want to be these people in these songs, even though obviously these folks lived pretty rough lives in some respects, a lot of drinking and long tours where things got really dicey as far as health goes. But I always wanted to be one of the people at the party in West Bay Invitational. It sounds (laughs) like you came pretty close, which is bad for you. (laughs) Yeah, The whole scene is just so endearing to me, the whole Oakland scene and, and Jawbreaker, the ones that really made it smart and funny and, damaged but amazing yeah. this album has meant so much to me over the years and i don't know where i would uh be without having it in my life that's all i can oh, really I... say without going off the emotional <laughs> plummet here if you will the emo ledge yeah there you go yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm right there with you i know we had talked about lyrics and it, one just popped into my head there's so many times when i've been living in a, a big city and used to actually crawl out onto the the roof of one of my apartments all because I wanted to be a poet in the night, which is a, a line from Condition Oakland. lyrics have just meant so much to me as a songwriter a lyricist it's a perfect album they definitely cleaned up their sound after this album and i was happy with that too but this to me is the quintessential jawbreaker absolutely what they did after undear you is is a different phase of the band and we don't need to get into that it's definitely a more polished phase and i love it but this album is definitely the pinnacle of their sound and i saw them live at fest a couple years ago and to hear the songs off this album live, it was just otherworldly. I just could not believe how cool it was to see them play Ashtray Monument and Condition Oakland and Boat on the Hill and all these. Oh, wow. I am yet to see them. Unfortunately, they played in Seattle the 
day that my band Bon Nui was in the in the studio, so I couldn't go to Seattle to see it. Although I almost canceled the, the recording just so I could go to see him. I am well prepped to cry a lot when I do get to see them, because <laughs> even just thinking of the idea of getting to see them, my eyes are welling up. So yeah, at fast when I saw them, there was a group of people around me. None of us knew each other, and when they started playing. There was like eight of us that all just hugged and started real crying. And it was just like, we're all in the same place of loving this band so much. Yeah, I can't wait to you know, see them again. But at the same time, I can't wait to listen to this record again. Maybe listen to it later this afternoon. After we get off here, I need to throw it back onto the stereo because it needs to just be in my ears all the time. Well, thanks again for talking to me about Jawbreaker's 24-Hour Revenge Therapy. Drew, that was that was a fun time. It went by in a flash. Yeah. Fun talking to you about it. And I just wanted to remind people to check out Scream Therapy, the podcast, which is about punk rock and mental health, which is the main podcast, as well as other episodes of this Flex Your Head podcast. We've talked about Unwound and we've talked about No Means No and Propagandi and a lot of other really amazing bands. We did Bikini Kill a couple episodes ago. That was that was awesome mm-hmm. as well. So yeah, ScreamTherapyHQ.com. That's where you can find all the podcast episodes of the main podcast and this one. Check it out. And once again, so much fun having you here, Drew. And I thank you for your time, of course. And you can give the spiel about how you would, there's no one else you'd rather be. Of course, there's nowhere else I'd rather be than chatting Jawbreaker with my uh, good bud, Jason. So I'm stoked. Shut your head!